and you're listening to the Independence News Hour on WBAI Radio here in New York. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies editor in chief. You can find our latest edition in our red and white news boxes across the city. You can also find us online at independent.org. In our second segment, we take a closer look at the mayoral race. Uh, the race was roiled uh, two weeks ago when Gene Kim alleged that uh, city comptroller Scott Stringer uh, sexually harassed and assaulted her uh, 20 years ago when she was working on his uh, campaign then to run for public advocate. Uh, Kim's allegation uh, led a number of Stringer's uh, supporters, uh, prominent uh, endorsees, uh, in, including uh, state senators Julia Salazar, Alessandra Biaggi, and Jessica Ramos, uh, to uh, withdraw their support from Stringer. Uh, also, the Working Families Party, Sunrise Movement, uh, were other groups that uh, withdrew their support from Stringer. Now, uh, uh, Kim's allegation, uh, when it was uh, originally came out, um, there really was no corroborating evidence at the time, and uh, no other women have stepped forward so far uh, to uh, make similar allegations against Stringer. So uh, journalist uh, Rose Adams uh, at The Intercept uh, delved into this uh, story to try to uh, see, see more of what the, the, the backstory was here. And uh, she's uh, going to join us. She's joining us this evening on uh, WBAI. Uh, Rose, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Sure. So uh, about a week ago, uh, you and Ryan Grimm of The Intercept uh, uh, published a, uh, your, your uh, investigation into the the, the history between uh, Gene Kim and Scott Stringer that knew each other more than 20 years ago, both involved with the uh, Upper West Side uh, Political Club, the Community Free Democrats. Uh, can you uh, tell us what uh, you and Ryan learned as, as you dove into this story? Sure. So, you know, we we knew that there was no way to get any sort of certainty uh, around what happened the night of the, the alleged assault. There is no way to kind of fact check what happened there unless you could track down the cab driver and have him remember and verify everything that, that happened. So what we set out to do was uh, try to fact check everything else that she had said, because she had a long narrative um, about how she met Stringer, about what the relationship was like and what she did afterwards. And all those things were things that we could fact check. So, uh, you know, Ryan and I reached out to people that knew them at the time in the Upper West Side, people that worked in the campaign or volunteered for the campaign, and just asked them, you know, what their response was to these allegations and uh, uh, what, their, what they remembered and what they could provide, what evidence they could provide from the time uh, of, the, of the alleged assault. And so we, we got their testimonies off the record because, of course, it's a very touchy issue, or on background, really. Uh, and also we got some, some emails, some resume, uh, resume from her in 2013 that said that she, you know, kind of, it went against the story that she had been telling, uh, before, before our article about what she had done after and, uh, various, various forms of, of evidence, at least from other people that kind of rounded out the story a bit and suggested that some of the things she and her attorney, Pat Patricia Pastor have said aren't, don't fully hold up, at least according to these other sources. Right. What, one thing that's attracted uh, some attention was Kim's claim that she initial claim that she was an intern uh, on Stringer's campaign. Uh, why, why has that been disputed? 
Well, that's an interesting one. I think you know, that was that was what she and her and her attorney claimed right off the bat that she was an unpaid intern, and the original Gothamist article that broke this news cites her that way. Um, but I think that was an important sticking point because you know that that sort of touches a nerve, especially you know among people that have talked about power imbalances and other sexual assault cases. It it conjures up an image of a young you know, college student uh, working unpaid, trying to work their way up the ranks under a much more powerful person. So it kind of makes you think that there's a big age difference, that there's a huge power imbalance. And so, you know, she's now taken that back and says she's a volunteer. And that's what Stringer has always said she was. And the people we spoke to, including the internship coordinator for the campaign, confirmed that she was not uh, an intern. But I think it was a very important sort of part of the conversation because uh, it did make her sound initially like she was much younger and less experienced and sub- more subordinate than she was. Right. She, she was 30 years old uh, when the, she was when 30 this... years old. She had a, uh, a job elsewhere and she was a volunteer. So she did other types of volunteer work. They had an internship program. It's not quite just semantics because there was an internship program at the campaign, but it was only for high school and college students. And the person that ran it was 19 at the time. So he wasn't hiring any 30 year olds. So they were very different roles, volunteer versus intern. Right. And uh, you've mentioned that when I think in, in, in your Twitter feed, since this uh, story came out, that uh, you, when you reached the, the uh, former internship coordinator uh, from that um, from that campaign, you were the first uh, journalist who had contacted him. I mean, this uh, these charges were quite explosive and I mean, really upended the mayoral race uh, stringer was widely seen as a top tier uh, candidate uh, so the, the the mayor's race was uh, turned upside down but apparently you and, and I, I guess Ryan were the first journalists to to contact anybody from 20 years ago when when all this uh, is alleged to have happened it seems like that's the case that that was one of the first things the internship coordinator told me was that he was surprised no one had uh no one had reached out to him. And it wasn't someone I found through some back end means. I mean, it's it's not too hard to find these these people. It's before kind of before everything was on the internet, of course. So you have to do a little bit of digging. But by going through, you know, people who donated to his campaign at the time, which is still publicly available online, you can you can find people that publicly list themselves as employees for his campaign. So it's, uh, it, it was very surprising to me that there clearly doesn't seem to have been a ton of rigorous fact-checking of her claims or any any effort at corroboration. Right. And, and, and speaking of corroboration, what were you hearing uh, from these people who volunteered, other people who volunteered on the, the Stringer 2001 campaign uh, about the relationship between him and Gene Kim? What was their narrative? So uh, she had said that they had a, um, they had no romantic relationship and they had met uh, in 2001, that she she initially said that Eric Schneiderman, a uh, former state senator, had, inter- had introduced her to him um, in 2001. But people on the campaign said that it was sort of understood, and I think this is for four sources we spoke to, said that it was uh, pretty understood that they had what seemed like a pretty casual romantic relationship or sort of light relationship, is what they called it. That's what he. That's what Stringer said too. Uh, and you know they would they would be seen at a lot of campaign events together. That they would uh, that they were it was sort of acknowledged even if it wasn't really spoken about that there was a romantic relationship there. Um, so that that's what they said about the campaign. Also, other things um, about when she met him, 
other other stories have come up. For example, she 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 met him. Uh, it seems she met him through either one of the two Upper West Side Democratic clubs she was a part of, probably the Community Free Democrats, and she started paying dues there in January of 2020, which uh, and we got evidence for that, which suggests that she probably started attending meetings and earlier since you know it's, it's unlikely to start being being a dues paying member uh, after your first visit. So. Uh, and she donated to his campaign in 1999. So between the sort of evidence we got that way and speaking to people who were at the campaign who said that they'd known each other before uh, the campaign started, it seems like they had a sort of casual romantic relationship and a relationship that dated before 2001. Mm. And, and how, how many people uh, told this to you or shared this with you? Uh, four people. Four people. And mm-hmm. now the, none of them went on the record with their with their narratives. Uh, do you have any sense of if if they will come forward? Because obviously it would I, I think eh, enhance the credibility of what they're saying if if they you know put their put their name to it. I, I mean I certainly understand why they would want to avoid the you know the the public scrutiny. But what, wonder, what's your sense um, of whether they, they'll come forward further? I, I have a doubt they will. Um, I, I kind of doubt they will now, uh, but I wonder if this story continues unfolding. Uh, maybe they will at some later date. Um, I know that one of the people I spoke to wanted to go on the record, but uh, was af- afraid of public backlash, but also had a uh, his, his employer limited what there's a, a a policy at his current job that sort of forbid him from doing that too. So there, I think. You know, it, it might depend on how this moves forward. Maybe it, after the news cycle moves on in a year or so, uh, they'll feel more comfortable going on the record. But because it's such a heated topic, it, I really don't. I think that there's just a lot of fear of speaking out and feeling that they're undermining, uh, you know, her very serious allegations. Right. Of course, that there is some irony in that because historically, people who've been sexually harassed and have uh, me too claims to make have have also felt that that fear of of being put under the the, right. the public uh, microscope. Um, and how many of these four people were men, and how many were women? I actually don't know. Um, I know at least one was a man, um, but Ryan spoke to a lot of them. I I didn't interview okay. all of them, so I wasn't familiar with all all of his okay. sourcing. Got it. Yeah. And, and, and can you talk about what the the impact uh, of this uh, of this whole uh, controversy has been on the Stringer campaign? He was uh, rising in the polls, uh, nearly in second place when the allegation hit. Uh, what is what has been the fallout? Well, I think people are a little bit surprised that it hasn't hurt him more. He still, still seems to be third in a lot of uh, roundups, or at least in a, in a pretty recent poll after all the allegations came out. But I think that it's um, the fact. I think the the worst effect to his campaign has been really the, the fallout from all the uh, endorsements. There, basically, every endorsement that was high profile and that mattered, or at least so many of them, um, have pulled away from him. And I think that that definitely will have an effect um, on the whatever ends up happening in the race. It's uh, because it's ranked choice voting. I think, you know, if he was someone's first or second, it's easy for them to just drop him down if they, if after these allegations, especially if the people that they support most who endorsed him have uh, backed away from him. 
So I think it's, um, I think it's been, his campaign is definitely still trying to um, do sort of a PR bounce back. He went on, um, uh, he went on Brian Lair last week. He did, there was a long New York Times article over the weekend about this, but uh, it's, it seems like he's, he's definitely, his campaign is going to, is taking a pretty big hit from it, even if the polls don't, don't show that yet. Right. And, and, and one other thing that's been interesting with the endorsements is, a, a number of these uh, sort of left millennial uh, groups and 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 prominent uh, elected officials who've come on the scene in recent years uh, have all uh, pretty much withdrawn their support. Yet a number of labor unions ha- have stuck with them. The, what's your sense of why why there's sort of this uh, divergence here? Um, that's a good question. I it's hard to say. Um, I I I can't. I'm not really sure. But I think that uh, I'm assuming because there is so much this is such a heated topic and it's very charged kind of uh, having a sexual assault allegation is a very is a very uh very politically risky damaging thing to have i can see that you know someone who is very progressive another politician or the working families party for example um someone they they have sort of a face to uh their their group so for example one you know one of the politicians that endorsed him they will have to personally um put up with any any sort of disagreement among their coalition for continuing to endorse them, whereas maybe a labor labor organization as a kind of more faceless group doesn't have to face those same uh, repercussions the way that one singular person would. I, I don't really know other than that. It's, I think it's an interesting divide. Um, and But it's, it's going to be interesting to see if perhaps some of these people that rescinded their endorsement will uh, how they'll talk about it in in a few in a few months when things have when this story continues to evolve. Right, and uh, so the so the primary is June twenty second, I believe. Early voting uh, starts mm-hmm. uh, something like June twelfth. Uh, before we wrap up here, uh, what's your sense of uh, where where the mayor's race is headed from here? Um, I I think it's tough. I mean, Andrew Yang has been in the polls very high early on, but. Everyone, you know, it's, it's pretty established that even, you know, a few months before the election happens, name recognition comes into play much more than anything else. So I still think it's anyone's race. And I think also the effect of ranked choice voting is going to be super interesting. I mean, this is a whole new ball game, really, for us. Uh, maybe it could really help someone's campaign that we don't expect, or maybe it can um, it can sort of just bolster the, the campaigns of maybe Eric Adams or, or Andrew Yang, people that are current front runners. Uh, there are definitely different kinds of strategies I've heard that you know progressives are using, where they say, "Put your last candidate that you put on ranked choice voting, either Eric or Eric Adams or Andrew Yang, the person that you would rather of the two of them." So, and I wonder if that's going to be something that people really implement, and if that's going to affect the the outcome at all. But uh, I I think it's uh, right now it seems like Eric Adams and um, Andrew Yang are ahead, and uh, it's it's but it's tough to know. I mean, it's um, things can change in this in these next this next month so it's anyone's race i think it certainly can they certainly have changed in the last couple of weeks and uh rose adams from the intercept uh thank you so much for coming on wbai radio this evening and and filling us in on the reporting you've been doing thanks so much thanks for having me you bet